We sang the gospel this morning. What a wonderful thing to have our Savior before the throne. I hope you know Him. If you don't know Him, I hope that even though our study today is not really a development of that gospel message, we clearly sang it today. I hope as the church testified to that grace as we lifted our voices to God, if you don't know the Lord, you were drawn to Him and that you will submit your life to His Lordship, thanking Him for His death upon the cross. We're talking about Paul and his plans. We're in Romans chapter 15. We're going to expand the reading today as we go through this, go into the next paragraph so you get a little bit more feel for some of the plans that the Apostle Paul is making. As I said, this is a very important section of the book of Romans. Sometimes we just kind of pass it over because it's like the end of the book. But there are such rich truths here that are so important that we understand when we think about methodology, when we think about ministry, when we think about practical plans that we may make for the Lord. The way we live our lives as individuals. And so, as we talk about the Apostle Paul today, my prayer is that as we come to the Word, as we come to Scripture today, uh, we meet again um, afresh, not only our Savior and our Lord, but also we reflect on this man, this remarkable man, the Apostle Paul. I don't think he was extraordinary in and of himself. Paul even said in what we read this morning, the scripture reading, when he came to the church of Corinth, he was among them in weakness and fear, much trembling. In other places, he talks about some of the deformities of his physical body, how he wasn't really an imposing person, that if you met him, it may not have been like, man, that is just like a specimen of masculinity. He might have been humped over, he had poor eyesight. But you start him talking about Jesus and you would never be the same. Because this was a man who knew Jesus Christ. I want you to notice what he says. He says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, you are filled with all knowledge, and you are able to instruct one another. I talked about that last week, that Paul was confident. He had a great confidence in these people that the Holy Spirit would enable them to minister to one another, as we have a great confidence about you. That because the Holy Spirit is in you, and the very same God that lived in Paul lives in you, we have the very same Word, and we are able by that indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, to minister to one another. That is important work of the body of Christ. As we engage with one another through the week, and we encourage, disciple one another. But then he said, but on some points I've written to you very boldly, by way of reminder, because of the grace, and I want you to notice that, that phrase is going to figure heavily in our message today, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ to the Gentiles 
in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of what I've accomplished. I am proud to be proud of my work for God. There again, we talked last week about that all-important in and for. Paul could be proud of his work because it was in Christ and it was for God. Anything else tends to idolatry. It's kind of the central thought of this paragraph when he says, in Christ Jesus I have good reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. And God brought the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem, all the way in a circle, that's the Greek word, a circuit, to Illyricum, blah, 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 I have fulfilled, that's probably the closest you'll get me to speak in tongues from the pulpit. I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. We read that. Dave read it to us in 1 Corinthians 2. I knew nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men but on the power of God. I made it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ had already been named, lest I would build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from getting to you. In Rome. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain to be helped on my journey to Spain by you after I enjoyed your company for a while. At present, I am going to Jerusalem. I'm bringing aid to the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints of Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be a service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this, and I have delivered to them, What has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. And I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessings of Christ. When Paul gets to Rome, he does come in the fullness of the blessings of Christ. But Paul doesn't get to Rome the way he figured he would, right? Remember that? 
It's not very long after Paul writes this that as he is going through every city, the Holy Spirit is testifying to him, it says in the book of Acts, that prison and beatings await you in Jerusalem. And Paul says, but none of these things move me. I don't count my life as dear to myself. And he set his face like a flint. And even though all the disciples said, don't go to Jerusalem, don't go to Jerusalem, don't go to Jerusalem, Paul said, I'm going to Jerusalem. And when he got to Jerusalem, exactly what the Spirit had testified happened. He was put in prison. He stands. He appeals to Caesar. He stands, stood on trial, and he goes to Rome. Not the way he intended, and not the way he planned. But he went in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Just as he said. No more room. It is an amazing thing to think. Paul here talks about a circuit where he has planted churches from Jerusalem to my little word I cannot pronounce, (laughs) Illyricum. 1,400 miles, a 1,400-mile circuit. And he said, I don't have room anymore to work there. Now, I'm getting about to the point, I hate to say this, where I'm saying there's almost no more room in Star Valley because it's all been subdivided, (laughs) right? There's just like no more room. Remember Daniel Boone? What did Daniel Boone say? When I see the smoke of my neighbor's chimney, it's time to move. And he did, right? That's why we got people all across the U.S. I'm not saying that like I'm going to leave. I'm just saying, there's like no more room in Star Valley. It's filling up. But it's just filling up with people. But what did Paul say? Paul said, I have no more room to plant churches. So I'm going to Spain. And I want to think about that this morning. Paul's personal plans, we talked about that last week. We talked about these I pronouns that kind of give us a structure to the passage we read. He said, I am satisfied about you. I have written to you boldly. I have reason to be proud because my work was in Christ and it was for God. I will not venture. He says, I will make it my ambition. And he says, I build. He says, when I build, I don't build on a foundation that others have laid. I lay my own foundation. I want to go somewhere where people have never heard. And I want to give the message to people who had no understanding. That's what Paul is saying in what we just read. You know, as I studied this this week, I had intended to talk about a certain thing. And by Friday, I decided that's not what I was going to talk about. Because I kept coming back to this thing. I think the Apostle Paul was one of the most extraordinary extraordinary people who has ever lived. There again, he was not extraordinary in and of himself. He was extraordinary in the way God used him. Go with me in your mind 2,000 years let's go back to the future no 
mass media. He was not a radio preacher. I cannot tell you how many people I meet. I met several people the other night at the RV park who told me that they grew in their faith because of the ministry of grace to you and John MacArthur on the radio. John MacArthur has left a tremendous mark on the world through radio and internet and his local church. But he has the radio and the internet. Paul didn't. Paul, we'll trace this chronology. When he writes this, he is like 60 years old. That's not ancient in our world. You know, you're just kind of starting out when you hit 60. Right? Yeah, I hope so. Because <laughs> it's getting pretty close. You're just kind of starting out in our world today. Not so much in the ancient world. Everywhere that guy has gone, he's been in an old boat that probably you would look at and say, I'll never get in that boat. That's why it went down three times when he was in them. There were no airplanes. There were no RVs. There were camel caravans. There were sandals for your feet. And you didn't even buy them at the dollar store. They weren't even the junky ones. These are like things that are like wooden with a leather latch. I guarantee they're not very pleasant to walk in. When that guy hit 60, this blows me away. I sat there and actually thought about this quite a long time over a cup of coffee. This guy hit 60. And he says, I want to get from you to Spain. And he ain't going to get there on a jetliner. I think I'd, I'm just being honest. I'm like, I probably, Lord, can I just sit on my deck and sip coffee and write a couple books? And he wants to go to Spain. He is no ordinary man. Who was this man named Paul? Let's just think about him for a minute. He, he was from a city called Tarsus, which is in Cilicia. Cilicia is a region of the Roman Empire that sits on the southern coast of what we think of as Asia Minor or Turkey. He's from the city of Tarsus. That's where he's born. He is a Jew of the diaspora or the dispersion. He is a Benjamite, he tells us in the book of Philippians chapter 3. Now, the dispersion were Jews who were dispersed in the ancient world. It happened at various times. It happened in the Assyrian conquest. It then happens after Babylon. But because of the conquest of Palestine by all these empires, many of the Jews are just scattered in the ancient world. And so he is a Jew with a dispersion. However, 
He is also a Pharisee. You know what a Pharisee is. And he is raised, he tells us in Scripture, at the feet of one of the most learned rabbis of the day, a Jewish rabbi named Gamaliel. He is the man who schools the Apostle Paul. Now, how long it is in his life from when he is born in Tarshish until his father sends him to Jerusalem to be schooled by Gamaliel, we don't know. But he is a Jew from Tarshish. He is a Benjamite. He becomes a Pharisee. He is raised at the feet of Gamaliel. I guarantee when you look at the chronology, he is in Jerusalem with Gamaliel while Jesus is alive and ministering. So when Jesus speaks to the Pharisees many times, it is very possible and plausible that the Apostle Paul, or Saul as we knew him then, would have been in that audience, perhaps explaining some of his hatred for Jesus. He's a Roman citizen by birth, no doubt, because if you were not a natural-born citizen as a Roman and you were born a citizen by birth, the only way you could get it was from your father. So his father, although a Jew, is also a Roman citizen. Roman citizenship was conferred on people through proconsulships because of either extraordinary acts or because of career paths. It is very probable that the reason... Paul's family had become Roman citizens was because of their occupation. They were tent makers. Now, they were leather workers. Uh, We use the word tent maker. But because they were tent makers, they were very important in the Roman world. One of the reasons they were very important in the Roman world was because the Roman army expanded exponentially during their lifetime and many times would go on extended campaigns where they would be living in what? tents, probably because of his service to the empire, Paul's father or grandfather had become a Roman citizen that would have naturally been conferred then onto the apostle Paul. So Paul claims his citizenship. Uh, I don't got time, but I was going to talk about citizenship, its importance. How did they know he was a citizen? When Paul gets beat in Acts chapter 16, Paul then says, I am a Roman citizen. If you said, I am a Roman citizen, and it was proven you were not, that was an immediate what? Lose your head offense. Okay, so when people, the people did not flippantly claim citizenship or the rights of citizenship in the empire, It was a death sentence to claim to be a citizen if you were not. Getting to know Paul, let's think about Jesus for a minute. Jesus was born. This is Bishop Usher. Actually, that's spelled wrong. Dating method. I spelled Usher like Bob Davis. But his dating method that he drew up, we know historically was off by a couple of years by archaeology and other events that we can trace So Jesus was actually born in what we would think of somewhere probably between 1 and 3 B.C., maybe stretching that out as 5 B.C. So when we think about our calendar, 
and we think of A.D., the year of our Lord, um, Jesus was born actually a little bit in that other era that we many times refer to as before Christ. So he was born about 1, and th- 1 to 3 B.C. Now, Jesus then dies about that time, 31 to 33. Paul is converted, and this is pretty easy to trace, actually, by historical... I won't go into all the historical way they date it. Pretty certain, it was 34 or 35 A.D., that the Apostle Paul was converted. Now, you know the events that led to his conversion. Damascus Road and what traces up to that. In the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 7... I'll get to that in another slide. So, he then launches his ministry in 44 AD. There again, that date is pretty well set in stone. We know it. From Antioch, the Holy Spirit says to the church, set aside these men to the ministry that I have called them to. Apostle Paul and Barnabas go on their first missionary journey, what he refers to in the section that we are reading to here, reading through. He writes the book of Romans somewhere between 57 and 60, probably in my mind a little closer to 57. He arrives at Rome, if you take 57 as the date, he arrives at Rome at about the year 60, and he is martyred in the year 66 under the persecution of Nero. So this is the chronology that we are talking about in the ancient world if you include the life of Jesus and the ministry of Paul and you overlap them. Jesus dies in this time frame at approximately this age, 33. The Apostle Paul is converted in 34-35, and he calls himself, or he is called in Scripture, a young man. He is probably, at the age of his conversion, about the age of our Lord when he died. So the Apostle Paul is probably almost an exact replica in age of the life of our Savior. In Acts 7, you see Stephen's martyrdom. They lay their garments at the feet of a young man. And so he's probably about the age of our Savior. He dies in Rome then at about the age of 60 plus or minus. He thus has a ministry of about 30 plus or minus years. 30 plus or minus years. In 30 years... The Apostle Paul was used by God, and there were other men involved in this, Peter, the other apostles, Philip, many men, many women. Paul refers to many of them. But God uses the Apostle Paul in a pivotal way to take the gospel from an isolated outpost in Palestine and an upper room where there are 120 disciples to becoming a worldwide movement. And he did it with none of the tools that we now have. 
How did he do it? Okay, so here's this circle. That word I can't produce, pronounce is up in here. It's up in here. And it's what we today think of as like Yugoslavia. So he's starting, okay, you think of Jerusalem down here. He's born in Tarshish, but Antioch is in here. He goes from Antioch and he goes all through this region in circular patterns. He plants churches. He gets up into here. And then he says, I want to go from here and I want to get to you and I want you to send me to Spain. He's truly a remarkable man. Now I want you to notice verse 20. I make it my ambition. I sat around this week and thought a lot about what are my ambitions. Paul said, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Not where Christ has been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. He's 60 years old, give or take. He's undoubtedly tired. At the age of 60, Paul had an irrepressible zeal. An irrepressible zeal to make Christ known. In spite of inconvenience and difficulty, in spite of danger, in spite of persecution. In 2 Corinthians 12, he describes some of the things that he went through. Now, if I had one or two things on this list, I'd probably be in the fetal position in a therapist's office. I mean, think about what this guy goes through. Far more imprisonments. He doesn't just say, I got imprisoned. He says, in 2 Corinthians 12, I had far more imprisonments. Far more. It was like when he got to town, he just asked people, you know, where's the jail? That's where I'm not going to get a bed. And, I'm not going to get an Airbnb. I'm going to jail. Far more imprisonments. Notice this. Beatings. You want to talk about beatings? Paul said what? Too many to count. So maybe when he sat around with the other guys and they started, remember what happened there? Oh man, I forgot about that time. Too many to count. Often near death. You talk about near death experiences? He had them. Often near death. Five times the Jews lashed him 39 times. I won't go into an explanation of that from the Old Testament law and how because they were only allowed to give 40 stripes, they only gave 39 just to be safe in case somebody missed and counted one that they shouldn't have counted. And, you know, so we'll be very gracious. We'll give you 39. Five times. Five times his Jewish countrymen, because of the sin, what they regarded as the sin, of blasphemy, lashed him at a post and gave him 39 hits to the back with a whip. I don't know if you were at Cowboy Church the other night and my son was doing 
His whip. 39. Five times. Three times beaten with rods. Those are the Gentiles. That is a Roman punishment conferred by an actual official of the court after sentence had been imposed. It would be a set number. It was done usually with an elm, many times with a group of elm. Think of going out and cutting down some willows, green willows, taking all the leaves off of them and getting four or five of them and having them pretty long and then using that to not just like to beat. That's the word. To beat. Greek word that kind of pictures the, a woman taking a broomstick and beating out the dust from a rug. To beat him. Three times with rods. Once stoned, left for dead. Three times shipwrecked. Day and night adrift in the sea. Frequent journeys. Danger. From rivers, robbers, Jews, Gentiles, in the city, in the wilderness, sea, false brothers. Toiled, sleepless nights, hungry, thirsty, baked in the sun, cold from exposure. Now that's written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He's not lying. He's not embellishing it. He's not flubbing there. He's telling us what literally happened to him in his propagation of the gospel. Despite all opposition, this guy has faced that. All of that is in the rearview mirror when he writes Romans 15 and he says, you know what? I can't wait to get to you. And I can't wait for you to send me on to Spain. That is remarkable to me. That kind of courage, that kind of zeal, and that kind of unstoppable commitment to share Jesus Christ with people that he knew may not just laugh at him, may not just say, what's wrong with you? They may turn him into the law, and it may add to that list. And he's ready to go. He dealt with opposition to his apostleship, apostleship, persecution by the world, satanic buffeting, physical ailments. You know, we got aches and pains in the morning when we get up. Think about that guy. I mean, I don't know about you, but every injury I've got tells me about it in January. How about you, right? Think about the injuries this guy's got from that list. And he don't have the doctors and availability of medicine that we have. In spite of all this, Paul was unstoppable in his quest to make Christ known what can account for zeal like that. What would transform the most zealous opponent of Christ who was there present when Stephen was stoned? 
And how he describes it in Timothy that he was zealous to persecute the church. He's going to Damascus to seek out Christians. And that guy becomes the most devoted follower of Jesus. Let's talk about the secrets of Paul's success, and we'll do it really quick. One is God's sovereign grace. I just want you to notice the text. I want you to notice with me verse 15. Paul says this. In verse 15, Paul says, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister to the nations. Kind of amazing that Paul would say after everything that he's been through that we just read that he would look at his calling and say it was a gift to me. Most of us would say why God didn't you choose someone else? It's a gift to me. It was grace. Paul understood what we talked about earlier today that what he deserved was hell. And he met Jesus Christ on the Damascus road. The Lord said to him, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. Remember? You saw me in the temple complex. And you were mad at me and you hated me because I drove out the money lenders. And I called you a brood of vipers. You can imagine all those things going through Paul's mind. I am Jesus. You are persecuting me. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Lord, what must I do? Go into the city. It will be told you there what you must do. God sends a man named Ananias. God tells Ananias, there's a man in the city and he's praying. He's on the street called Straight. Go and see him. Ananias immediately says, I have heard that that guy was coming here to catch people like me and to throw us into prison. And God says this to Ananias. The Lord said to him, go. This man is my chosen instrument. He will take my name to the Gentiles, to kings, and the Israelites. And I will show him how much he will suffer for my name. He is my chosen instrument. In Ephesians 3, he says, I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace. It was given to me by the working of his power. This grace was given to me, even though I am the least of all the saints. And this is the grace that was given to me, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of the Messiah. You consider the secrets of Paul's success, you'd have to say it is the power of God's indwelling spirit. The 
The Apostle Paul was a man, undoubtedly, who had totally surrendered the control of his life to the Holy Spirit. In this section, he talks about signs and wonders, the power of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to deal with that a little bit more in depth next week because I don't got time to do that today. But the Apostle Paul realized that there was nothing in himself. Remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about the thorn in the flesh that he had and how he was weak because of it. And in that state of weakness, he said, when I am weak, I am strong, because then I am more reliant upon God. And, and he says, it is by the grace of God that I am what I am. Paul recognized there was nothing inherent in him that could produce anything for God. That anything and everything that was done was accomplished by God's Spirit. The longer I've been in ministry, the more I recognize this. What God does in your heart doesn't depend on my cunning crafting of a sermon. Do I study hard? I do. Do I try to put it together in a way that keeps you awake? I do. Do I try to communicate it in a way that says, don't fall asleep? I do, although I understand when you fall asleep. I do. I sat in a pew a lot of years. I used to feed cows, and then I'd go to church. A lot of times I'd get up at 5.30 in the morning to irrigate or feed cows, and I'd be tired, and then I'd have something to eat at home. Amy'd make a nice breakfast, and we'd run to church, and I'd been running, running, running. I'd sit down in the pew, and man, I was gone. So I understand. I know that happens. I'm not mad at you when it does. That's life. Just don't fall out of the window. I can't take you up dead. <laughs> like Paul. I try to do the best I can do to communicate to you the riches of God's word. But in the end, if God does anything to save a single person, it is not because of me or Matt or anyone else it is because of him and him alone. That is what he says in Corinthians. So that when we glory, God doesn't choose many mighty. God doesn't choose many noble. He uses the weak things of the world to confound the mighty. So that anything that happens is for his glory and his alone. When God works in your heart, you sometimes you are so gracious. You come to me. You say, man, that spoke to me. That ministered to me. You were speaking to me. And, you know, I get, I get a little embarrassed by that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. But, and, and I say, praise the Lord. Because I don't know what else to say. But it's true. Because it's nothing about us. It's Him. And Paul realized that. And the more we realize that, and the more we get ourselves out of the way of God, the more that God will do. It's the power of God's indwelling spirit. Lastly, it was Paul's undying effort to proclaim the gospel. It is God's sovereign grace, but I'll tell you what, the apostle Paul was irrepressible. 
there was something in that guy that would not quit. We got these two dogs that love to work cows. One of them is a little better than the other. And we got four dogs that work cows, but Amy and I bought two pups the other year. One of them is Ruger and one of them is Bullet. Bullet is not, Jeff knew this because he rode with us the other day, Bullet is a little hefty around the waist because he really likes the feed dish. And he is not the most, oh, what's the word I want? You know, most dogs, when they bite a heel of a cow, duck after doing it. <laughs> he just doesn't even think about it. So he'll bite a heel and he'll get kicked in the face. And it's just like he gets kicked in the face. And instead of going home and squealing to mom, he gets mad. And he gets another heel. And he'll get hicked again. And he's rolling in the dirt. And he's up again. And there he goes. He just will not quit. And I'll watch that dog sometimes and I'll think, why don't you learn to duck? But regardless of that, I am astounded that no matter what is dished out at him and whatever abuse he takes, he keeps on trying. And that's Paul. No one would get him to quit. No one. He gets beat. He gets stoned. He sleeps out of the cold. He's shipwrecked. He is kicked in the face. And he still comes back. And he says, can I tell you about Jesus? Can I tell you what he did for me? Can I tell you how he took a persecutor? And he transformed me. And his grace changed me. And I'm no longer who I once was. Can I tell you about Jesus? Can I tell you about Jesus? That's who I want you to meet. I don't want you to meet me. You won't find much. Can I tell you about Jesus? That is the secret of Paul's success. He could never get over the fact that a man that he hated chose him, changed him, saved him. Can I tell you about Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that in your word we come face to face with a person. And I'm not talking about Paul, I'm talking about Jesus. Who was unlike any person who has ever lived. Who was spat upon, he was beaten. He was God come in the flesh and yet he had no home. He freely forgave. He loved the unlovely. He's changed my life. Lord, I know you have changed the lives of many people in this room. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would descend upon our hearts in a way that we would be unstoppable in our zeal to make Jesus known. So those who have not understood 
would understand. And Holy Spirit, we know that only you can give that understanding. It is in your name we pray. Amen. I'll ask you guys to stand with us one more time here as we sing our closing song, if you would. before you so that you can truly get us out of the way and use us uh, as you want us to be used. In your name, amen.